Hey, good morning. It's good to see everybody. Welcome to Summit Crossing. Uh, my name is Bill, so if I've never met you, if you're visiting with us, uh, maybe for the first time this morning, we just want to say welcome. And man, we're really glad that you are here. You know, everything that we're doing is ultimately designed, hopefully, to put Jesus at the center of, of, of our life as a church. So everything you are hearing, everything you're seeing, everything you're experiencing, that's the ultimate goal of what we're doing. And so even when you hear like videos like we just heard about opportunities that we have uh, to go to the ends of the earth, that's not what we're about as a church. We're about Jesus. We're about the gospel. And because we're about Jesus, it doesn't stop here. It goes out to the ends of the earth. You might hear these songs we've been singing, which are, you know, these big songs, man, there's some big stuff in these songs, right? It's not just like empty karaoke music on a Sunday morning. These songs seem really kind of serious, and, and, but we're not about songs. We, we like songs. They help us to worship Jesus. In fact, I'm, a good, I'm about to preach a sermon. You know, we, we like sermons, but that's not what we're about as a church. We're not about sermons and songs. We're, we're about the glory of Jesus. And so everything we're doing is, is ultimately meant to point us back to him. And so if you are visiting with us, regardless of where you are, like on your spiritual journey right now, we want this to be a safe place for you to engage with what do you do with Jesus. And so uh, whether you believe in him, whether you don't believe in him, uh, we hope you can kind of make yourself at home. We're glad you're here. We don't think it's an accident you're here, and we hope that you will believe in him uh, by the time you leave here today, and that you'll see his glory and turn your life over to him. And so that's what we're all about. Um, so yeah, if you, have, if you have a Bible, open up to John chapter 15. Uh, it's going to be a fun week, isn't it? I mean, Thanksgiving week's always fun, it's, it's, uh, right? I mean, everybody loves it, right? You've never had a bad Thanksgiving in your life, I'm sure. Everybody's about to go do all this family stuff. You know, Thanksgiving's a little bit like Christmas in that it's a really good thing for certain people. It's a really bad thing for other people. So I'll just kind of preemptively say we're at that time of the year where even though we're about to do a lot of celebrating and a lot of, a lot of embracing of joy, if this time of year conjures up bad things for you, maybe, maybe uh, as we come to the end of the year it's a reminder of of things that you don't have that other people seem to have like when we talk about thanksgiving or we talk about christmas if it conjures up things that that are difficult for you this is a safe place for you to share those we want to we want to come beside you in that journey and and support you over the next several weeks together and so if you're in here and you're struggling with that kind of thing this is that time of year where where the struggles and the darkness seems to get pretty thick for you then man we're here and we're not afraid of you and we're glad that you're here uh, we want to be excited about Thanksgiving. We definitely want to be excited about Advent, too. Advent's coming next week. I know Dave kind of announced it a little bit earlier, uh, and, and there's a bunch of stuff happening. I want to continue to say, if you've served here, that you want to come to our party. Man, we're gonna, it's going to be a fun party. So December 3rd, uh, mark your calendars. Come. Uh, we've got all this fun stuff coming together. I was just talking to some guys who are going to be making some epic food uh, for that evening. So you're going to want to come and check that out. It's going to be really, really good. But also, it's just a chance for us to get together as a church family and celebrate the fact that, yeah, we've labored together. Yeah, we've seen a lot of cool things happen in our ministry together. But we also just get to celebrate that, like, God has brought us together. Like, we get to do this together, which is like a really cool thing because this is a cool group of people. And so if you're on the outside thinking about jumping in with us as a church, man, we want to, like, come in, be part of this thing. Like, we party at the end of the year because we're excited about what God's doing in our life, but we're also excited about the community of people that God has brought here. So if you're serving with us in any capacity, man, you were invited that night, and, uh, man, I hope you can come. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm trying to overhype it. Have you noticed that? Maybe it'll be overhyped. I don't know. It's going to be a lot of fun, one way or another. And so uh, December 3rd, mark your calendar. So earlier in the, in the 9 o'clock service, I forgot to bring um, 
my cup for communion that we're going to do a bit later, later. And so up here I have four of them now just to make sure I, I didn't forget them. So I'm going to put a few of these out of the way just so I'm not messing with them the whole time I'm talking to you. Hey, if you're online, hi, by the way. And I'm back. Um, so, yeah, if you have a Bible, open up to John chapter 15. We're going to talk about this really pivotal passage as we continue to work our way through John. Uh, starting next week, we're going to take a break from John. We're going to talk a lot about where this verse, this passage ends. We're going to end in a passage about joy today. You'll see that in just a second. And during Advent, which starts up next week, we're going to just, man, we're going to talk about the fullness of joy. How do we, how do we jump into the fullness of joy? It's going to be a really cool uh, break from John. But for today, we've got this really pivotal passage. I mean, I'm only going to be able to touch the surface of this thing today. It's, it's another reminder of why you need community in your life to come back to this as often as you can, because really the principles that we're going to see in this passage, man, they go so deep that I can't possibly even begin to cover any of them. So we're going to touch it a little bit today. Hopefully you can go back and with people that you're running with, uh, you can begin to press this stuff into the everyday part of your life. So John chapter 15, um, and, I'll, and I'll read the passage in just a second, but before we read that passage, I'll just ask a quick question. Like, are you, are you a lost cause? So just think about that for just a second. Like, I get that there's other people in the room who aren't, you know, like, so we're in a church, and so you look around the room, and you're like, well, that guy's not a lost cause, or that girl, she seems to have her stuff together. But I'm saying for you, for just a moment, think about you, like, are you a lost cause? Is it too late for someone like you? So some of you haven't been in the church at all. So you were maybe burned when you were growing up by the church. You haven't been back in a long time. Maybe you finally had kids and you're like, I don't want them to turn out as messed up as I am. So I just want to bring them to church. So you got them in our children's ministry and that's why you're here. And man, we're excited that you got our, your kids over there, but we're excited that you're in this room too. And I would say to you, do you feel like you're a lost cause? Or may, maybe some of you have been doing church this whole time. You've been, you've been showing up, you, you sit in the chairs you do the church thing, you've been a Christian for as long as you can remember, and you say the right things, and you, you act the right way, but deep down in your heart, you're wondering as you get older, am I a lost cause? Is this it? Is this as far as it really, really goes? You know, if, and if you're around us for any period of time here, we're about talking about how the gospel truly transforms our lives. Not like hollow plastic, fake Christianity, not like, like a hollow plastic faith that only transforms your your schedule on a Sunday morning but doesn't actually really do anything with your actual life like we want to tap into something that's a lot more powerful than that and what we're going to look at in this passage today is why I love the book of John is because John's all about us believing more in Jesus but we also come to places like this where this passage tells us that through belief in Jesus true lasting deep personal growth and change it's possible. It really is. It's going to talk about that potential for that and how we get that. And so it's a, it's a great passage. I'm going to read it to us. You might have heard it if you're familiar with the Bible. And I'm just going to pull a couple of observations out of it about how this uh, personal uh, potential change can happen in our, in our lives. And so John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus is talking, and he says, starting in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself 
Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And by this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And we'll stop there today. So just a couple of observations about this. And, and really what this is saying is it's, it's talking about true growth in the human heart can happen. It's possible. And so the, where we get that from, by the way, is he's talking about fruit. Remember like the vine and the branches when I was reading through there? There's the vine, the branches. He's talking about producing fruit. Anytime the Bible talks about fruit, it's talking about like these external signs of transformation that's happened in your life. And that's why you go throughout the Bible. You go to places like in Galatians where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Y'all, y'all familiar with the fruit of the Spirit? So what is the fruit of the Spirit? You have all kinds of fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, peace, patience, joy, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Like what's that saying? It's, it's saying that, that w- when you have the Holy Spirit in you, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but when you have the Holy Spirit in you, it's producing this life that looks significantly different than your life used to look. In other words, a way that you could talk about it is, how do you go from someone, maybe you can relate to that person who right now is just, as they get older and older and older, they're becoming angrier and angrier and angrier, and I'm becoming more and more cynical and more and more pessimistic, and I don't want to be that person, but I just find myself looking out at the world around me, and I'm just, I'm just becoming more and more grumpy as I get older. How do I go from being that person to someone who's, who's displaying kindness in my life? goodness, patience, self-control. Like, how does that transformation take place? And Jesus is saying in this passage that any of that transformation that takes place, that's because of me. It's because of me. Like, I'm the key to it all. And so as we jump into this passage, let's see what he has to say about this kind of change. And I'll just make a couple of observations about it. And and we'll, like I said, we're only going to touch the surface. You need community in your life, so jump into one of our groups. I'd love to talk to you about that. So you can be in this like every day. But let's just make a couple of observations. And the, and the first observation is this. When you, when you come into this passage, you see that personal growth, that, that fruit, personal growth is truly possible. In fact, you could go so far as to say real transformative growth in your life as a Christian is not the exception, it's the norm. That's where this passage is going. Now, if you think about it for just a second, maybe you can relate to a lot of people who struggle with that idea that real change can happen to people. Maybe you've lived enough life and you go, man, I've heard enough people make enough promises and they don't live up to those promises and so no one really ultimately changes. In fact, the older you get, the more set in your ways you get, the less and less possible it is for us to change. And so maybe you're in that camp where you're cynical about other people and you go, people don't truly, truly change. But what I'm saying is when you come back to the scriptures, the the scriptures say something completely different. 
The scriptures are always, the Bible's always going to come back and say those that know Jesus deeply are utterly transformed because of it. So much that you could say true, deep change, even if you're an old person. I'll let you define that age again. But old people can even change. And it's not even the exception. It's the norm for Christians. Now, maybe you're in the other camp, and the other camp goes, okay, I get that other people change, but I'm the lost cause here. Like, I've lived enough life, I've gone into enough dark places in my sinfulness that maybe other people can change, but I'm neck deep in it, and there's just no hope for someone like me. Maybe, like I said earlier, your hope is for your kids, but for you, you go, there isn't enough change that can actually happen to me to make any kind of difference. And again, to that person, if you're in the room going, I'm, a, I'm the lost cause, there's no hope for someone like me, I would come back to this passage, and throughout this passage, Jesus is essentially saying, if you abide in me, fruit is going to take place in your life. That fruit is going to glorify the Father. In fact, if you look in verse 15, which we'll come back to after Christmas time, he, literally he goes, the Father has appointed you for that fruit to happen in your life. That is a beautiful promise to those of you who think that you're a lost cause. In fact, later on throughout the scriptures, you can go into the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, people are so utterly transformed by the movement of the Spirit through the gospel in their lives that, that people don't even recognize them anymore. That's how much transformation is happening. Look at what happens to Paul. The apostle Paul goes, I was the worst of everybody. If anyone was a lost cause, I'm the lost cause. And the Holy Spirit moves over me through the gospel, and not even Paul can stop the transformation that's happening. Over and over and over and over again. Man, I can go on and on. Passage at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. You are God's poetry in the gospel, created beforehand to do good works, to produce that fruit in your life. So yeah, the question that we have to ask ourselves, and that you need to ask yourself right now, is do you think you're the lost cause? Are you the exception? Do you believe personal growth is truly possible for you? Are you utterly skeptical? For some of you, that's all you need to hear today. That's why you're here today. It's just to hear that question that you need to wrestle with right now. Is, is growth possible for you? Listen, we say it every week, but you don't have to believe the Bible. Like, you, you have the right to not believe the Bible, but just because you don't believe it doesn't mean that it's not true. Like, the Bible is God's unfiltered truth. And the Bible is making it clear time and time again that you are not the exception to the rule. In fact, for everyone in this room that's put their faith in Jesus, you ought to assume true, lasting, deep, personal growth in people is the normative when the Spirit is alive in a group of people, not the exception. Man, and, and to me, that's good news. Right? I mean, it, it, it's good news because, because that means God's not done with you yet. It means that he wants you to be transformed. He wants, he wants you to put your faith in Jesus, but he doesn't want that just to produce some like hollow, uh, fake, religious, weird group of people that just hang out on the weekends, especially on Sunday mornings. Like he wants, he wants this thing to go so much deeper. And so the question is, if it's possible for us to truly change, to have that true growth, then what does it look like? Like, what does that growth look like? And that's kind of the second kind of point I'll pull out of the passage today. 
what's the nature of that growth? And what I would say is, according to this passage, and according to the rest of the Bible, frankly, when you're talking about deep spiritual change in your life, it is, it is ultimately organic. It's deeply organic. And I, and I realize, organic, that word, like, a lot of people don't like that word, you know. I, you know, talking to certain guys who are like, I like meat, though. You know, it's like, and we're not talking about like a vegetarian approach towards, you know, Christianity. It's organic. It's deep. It's complicated. And, and you can get that from all kinds of places. First of all, when you come back into this passage, if you look in verse 5, Jesus literally says in, in 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. But do you notice that even Jesus, when he's talking about bearing fruit, he's using organic language, literally plants. Now, I don't know if you know a lot about vines. Maybe you haven't been to California. I lived in California for a long time. Uh, it's like wine country out there. You go out to these wineries, you see all these beautiful grapes coming off of all these branches. But it's amazing because they all tie back into like one central vine in there. And so that's kind of, we get the imagery, we get the illustration that Jesus is using. Maybe you're not a, you know, a vine person, maybe you're more of a tree person. We know that, that the fruit is, is being produced by the same trunk of that tree or by the same roots of that, of that tree. So Jesus is using these organic kind of principles to say in the end, if you really want to understand the nature of true personal change, it's deeply organic. Now another way of saying that, is, is, is something that I think is critical for us to understand at this time and this place as part of the church, especially in America. And here's what I would say, is that Jesus, when we talk about real change, is after internal heart transformation, not robotic compliance to an external moral code. And that's why we get it backwards so often. I'll say that again. Jesus is more interested here in internal heart transformation, not robotic compliance to an external moral code. And the reason I say this is ex important for us, especially in this day and time in the church in America, is too often we get it backwards and we're all about that external code. Uh, and, and I'll say it another way, um, and I have a lot of these, so I sit around and think about these all the time, so you're going to get a lot of them. All right, so I'll, I'll say it another way, and I'm, and I'm going to use an illustration about computers, and so I'm just going to say that because I'm in a room full of people, and I realize it's dangerous for me to talk about computers with you because you're probably going to be like, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, and so because all of y'all are, are really smart um, when it comes to engineers and computers, I think this is a safe one. So come up to me afterwards and tell me if I was off at any level, and I'll change it for the next time I do this. But but I'll just say this about computers. Here's, I, I don't know a ton about them, but I do know this, that you can take a computer and you can program it from the outside in, right? You can, you can code it to essentially comply to what you coded it to go do. So from the outside in, I give the computer this code, now it's gonna comply to that code and computers get really, really good at doing the code, don't they? Like they get really good, like look at your, like pull out your phone and hold up your phone. And like that, I mean, you don't really have to do that, but like, but like that phone is a really, really good computer. It's following the rules like left and right. In fact, you can get really good at coding to the point that you have the greatest looking code that you've ever seen in your life. Your computer is doing better than any other computer in the world. And no matter how good you get at coding, no matter how good your computer is at following and complying to that external code, that computer does not love you. Doesn't. And now I realize a few of you need to take a moment for just a second and chew on that. But it doesn't. 
computer doesn't love you. God didn't create you to be a robot. He didn't create you to be a computer. He didn't create you to be given some robotic outside external coding and then send you off to spend your entire life just complying with the code. And and you see this throughout the scriptures, right? Like going to Isaiah, and what happens in Isaiah is the people of Israel, they're complying to the external code of the law, and so they're following the code, and they're doing it perfectly, and they're doing it better than anyone else in the world, and literally they're they're proud of how well they're doing, and then you come to the first chapter of Isaiah, and literally God goes, yeah, I don't want any of that from you. I don't even want your obedience. Why? Because God didn't create you to be a robot. He doesn't want your obedience. The Bible's clear. He wants you. He wants your heart. And too often in the church, when we start talking about personal growth and we start talking about real change, what we're really doing is we're saying what you need to do is comply to the code better. And so we give you, we program the code. Think about how much effort the church puts into often Puts, puts too much effort and energy and resources into just telling you what you're doing wrong. Have you ever noticed that? Here's our external code, and, and, and really the way that you change is you realize you're not complying with that external code of conduct, and so you just need to start complying with that external code of conduct, and everything will change. You, you, you notice that. Anybody experienced that before? I do. I, I experience it all the time. I do all kinds of counseling all the time, with people. And, and, and over the years, man, I've counseled so many couples that have come in and talked to us about their marriage, talked to us about what's going on in their life. So I've counseled so many people that, are, that are, have other issues, struggling with substance abuse, whether it's alcohol or drugs or another substance of choice. And, and let's just take marriage counseling, for example. This, th- this is how it goes down in a lot of churches. It wouldn't go down this way if you met with me, but this is how it happens a lot of times. As you get a couple, they come into your office, and I'll pick on the husband today. And so they, they come in, and the, the husband's been acting like a moron. And so the wife goes, my husband is acting like a moron. I can't take it anymore. I'm ready to leave him. He said, will you go meet with you? So I'm in the office. We're meeting here. I want you to fix us. And so here's the deal. He's cheating on me. He treats me bad. He calls me, uh, you know, he he calls me bad names. And so um, he needs to change or I'm out the door. And I get to say, absolutely, like you shouldn't be abused. You shouldn't have that relationship. He should repent of that. He shouldn't be acting like that. But what ends up happening is to get that man to actually make that change we tend to go bro don't you understand man you shouldn't be cheating on your wife like what does that what does that tell her about her value and her worth so quit cheating on her life uh, uh, on her and why would you talk bad about her and, and and belittle her don't you understand you're supposed to love her like christ loved the church so 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 man if you don't do this if you don't make these changes i'm telling you right now she's walking out the door and what ends up happening often is then that guy goes oh well if my marriage is threatened then I will comply to whatever you ask me to comply to so that my marriage doesn't get threatened anymore. And so oftentimes in the room, you know how this goes. The guy goes, you know what? I, I'm so sorry. I will never cheat on you again. I'll never call you a bad name again. Like, I'll, I'll never belittle you again. I am a changed man from this point on. Everything's good. And when I see that, when I see people act that way, and, and, and the way that they're going to change is they're just going to change those external actions and everything's going to be fine, I go, it's just a matter of time. It's only a matter of time before they're right back here in my office or they're out getting divorced. And, and, and the reason why is because the moment that that guy goes, my marriage is no longer threatened, that he's going comp- to just revert back to who he was. His default programming to obey the external code of conduct until I accomplish what I'm supposed to accomplish and then I go back. 
And you can do this over and over and over again. Take substance abuse. You come in and you go, hey, here's the deal. I'm getting blacked out drunk and it's not good and I'm about to lose my job. I'm addicted to, to drug of my choice and they're about to test me and I, don't, and, and I wanna make sure that I, it t- I don't lose my job if I get tested the right way. And so you, you get threatened from certain places and then we go, well, you know, as Christians, you shouldn't be getting blacked out drunk. Don't you know all those passages in the scriptures? Don't get drunk, it's bad for you. And drugs, like why would you do drugs? Are you kidding me? Don't you know that that stuff like rots your, your entire body? Like do you really wanna be that person where you're, you're, you're just gonna kill yourself early? And then people hear that and they go, well, I don't want to die. So, yeah, I'm not going to do drugs anymore. That's a good point. I, I'm, I'm, I'm completely free and sober. Or, or no, I don't want to get blacked out drunk because if I do, I'm going to lose my job. I don't want to lose my job, so I'm, I, I'm not going to do it anymore. Oh, and I don't want to offend God, so I'm not going to do that anymore either. And when I hear people go, the real route to change is just to comply to that external code, I just kind of at this stage in my life go, yeah, it's only a matter of time. They're going to make some changes for a few days, maybe a few weeks, maybe even a few months. But deep, organic, real, raw change hasn't happened in their life yet. Why? Because, again, you are not a robot. You're an image bearer of God. Biblically speaking, the way that the Bible talks about this is what is in your heart produces what you do in your life. In fact, every behavior that you've ever done in your life, the Bible's real clear, is a direct overflow of what you're believing in your heart. Your decisions in your life follow the desires of your heart. The things you do in your life are an overflow of what's in your heart. In other words, the Bible is saying all of your behavior is an overflow of something internal, not external. And until there's an internal transformation of the heart, the externals are going to continue to be distorted. So many illustrations of this. The Bible talks about us as a tree, that you have bad fruit on your tree, and and the result of that is that you're you're having all this bad stuff happen to you, and so you need good fruit like the fruit of the Spirit. And what ends up happening is the church goes, well, we get really good at chopping off the bad fruit. Don't get drunk. Don't sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Don't go watch rated R movies. You know, like we come up with all these like rules to get rid of the bad fruit, and we spend all of our energy and all of our effort and all of our time chopping off the bad fruit, thinking that's going to make the change. And any of you that have had any kind of fruit trees in your life, I've only had one in my entire life, and it went horrible. Because no matter how often I chopped off, it was a nasty uh, peach tree in California, of all places. And no matter how much we chopped off the rotted out peaches, got to get rid of that, got to get rid of that. Every year grow back more nasty peaches. Why? Because deep down inside the roots were producing the bad fruit. And until you change the roots, it doesn't matter how often you chop off the bad fruit, it's just going to keep coming back. Question you need to ask yourself. Jesus is saying, you want change, abide in me. To abide in me means remain in me. Take up root in me. What you need to ask yourself right now is, have you devoted most of your energy as a Christian to abiding, remaining in Jesus? Literally being with him moment by moment. Like, are you majored on Jesus? Who is he? What has he done? What makes him worthy of your heart's deepest desires? Is that where your energy is in your spiritual life? Or is your energy in 
complying to some external coding that you were given along the way. You know, the irony of it is, if you want to produce good fruit in your life and actually have this life that reflects the glory of God to the world and actually be the people that want to climb to the top of the Himalayas and share Jesus with people and actually be the people that want to come to church and, and, and bring in the least of these and love everyone and like really, really display the, the love and the glory of the Father with your life. If you want to be that person that sees that kind of change, some of you need to quit worrying about the fruit in your life. And we need to start dealing with the root. And you need to devote your energy and your time and your resources to who is Jesus? Why is he worthy of my heart? Think about how you spend your time in your groups. Think about life in missional community. Do you spend most of your time talking about your sins? Talking about your failures? Talking about how you're not measuring up? Do you spend most of your time talking about the culture and how bad it is or how awful it is? Do you spend most of your energy talking about how we could be better as a church? Or, you know, like, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm guilty of this, dealing with our worship arts team, and I spend more time thinking about, you know, how, what, what's, the, what's the mix of the, of the lows to the highs? And, 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 like, the question is, do you spend most of your time doing all that stuff, or, or have you devoted your energy back to the root, the vine, Jesus? Does he dominate your time? If he doesn't, it's okay, but it's also probably why you're not changing. I've got one more illustration for you on this, and I'm going to move into the last point. One more illustration. It's, it's just a good one. I've got like four more, but I'm just going to do one more. I like one more. And I think this one came from Tim Keller, so don't quote me on it. Quote him. But uh, We're coming up to Christmas. I don't know how many of y'all... Uh, actually still cut down a Christmas tree. Anybody still do that? Like go out and actually cut down your own Christmas tree. And so some of y'all, some of y'all just raised your hand like proudly. Heck yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, I'm one of those people. So, so it's like this, like, like you go out and you find that Christmas tree and you cut it down, you bring it into your living room and you decorate it. It's got all these decorations, you put lights on it. And the moment that thing goes in your living room and it gets all the decorations on it, that tree has never looked prettier than that moment, right? I mean, it is on fire. Like that thing, hopefully it's not on fire, but like that thing is amazing, and, and it looks beautiful, and people come in, and they're like, what a beautiful tree. It looks prettier than it did out in the woods when you cut it down, or the Christmas tree farm, or wherever you went and got it. It looks amazing, and, and people gawk at just how beautiful it is, and yet what we know is come about, you know, turn of January, that tree ain't going to look pretty anymore, and you're going to have to get it out of that living room. And all those beautiful green needles all over that tree are going to be brown and they're going to be on your carpet or on your floor and you're going to have to get that thing out of there. Why? Because the moment you cut down that tree and you separated it from its root, it does not matter how much you adorn that tree from the outside, it's not alive. And it doesn't matter how beautiful it looks from the outside, it has no life in it. It is actually dying. And you can try to change it to your hearts. You can be one of those people who literally go into people's homes and decorate their trees for them and then take a picture of it and put it on your Pinterest account. Like, you can be one of those people that good at decorating trees. doesn't matter. That tree's dead. It's not transforming. It's rotting. You have to ask yourself the question, have I begun to follow after Christianity where all I'm being taught to do is adorn some tree with all these external things while all the time ignoring the fact that I've been severed from the root. 
the true lasting transformation is deeply organic because it's only when we stay connected to Jesus, abide in him, remain in him moment by moment by moment, that we're connected to the root where real growth from the inside out can begin to happen. And so how do you tap back into that root? You know, how do you tap back into that root? Like, how do we get back to that's kind of, we'll just close out thinking about this. A couple of quick thoughts. How do you tap into that root then so that I can have, you know, uh, I can abide in Jesus. I can begin to be transformed from the inside out and it can begin to produce new fruit in my life and I can begin to see real lasting change. Like, how do you begin to do that? The first question you got to understand is that the root or the branch, I'm sorry, the vine is the source of life not the fruit. And so in other words, what I would say is you don't get life in your life because you have fruit, Christian. You have fruit in your life because you've been given life. You have to have that straight. Otherwise, the gospel will mean nothing to you. And if the gospel means nothing to you, then Jesus will mean nothing to you. If Jesus doesn't mean anything to you, then you'll separate yourself from Jesus. You'll, you'll, you'll sever yourself. You'll chase after other things. There won't be internal transformation. And you might decorate your tree, but you're dying because you're not connected to the root, to the vine, to the source of life. You have fruit in your life because you were given life. You don't get life because you have fruit. That's the gospel. Now, a couple of things on the gospel. What does it mean then to abide in Jesus, to stay connected with him, to remain in him? Some of your translations say remain in Jesus, to be with him moment by moment by moment. Here's why this matters. The gospel does not begin with good news that through faith in Jesus' death on the cross for your sins, you can be forgiven, saved, and be with God forever. So you have to understand, the gospel does not begin there, right? The gospel begins with us recognizing our need for Jesus to go up onto the cross, to die for us, that we might be saved, have our sins forgiven through his death on the cross, so that we can be with God forever. Do you see that? See, the gospel always begins with bad news that you have to grasp and believe before you'll ever receive the incredible good news. You see it even in this passage. If any of you are paying attention to that passage when I was reading it earlier, there's a ton in there about if you don't bear fruit, you get cut off, right? A lot of stuff in there. Like if you don't bear fruit, God is going to sever you off. And then he says he gathers that all together, throws it on the side, and they burn off all of the, all of the branches that don't bear any fruit. Now there's only really two ways to look at that. And, and I think both are very biblical in what Jesus is trying to say in this. The first way is you've got to understand if you do not bear fruit, there is a knife from the gardener, from the vine dresser, that is going to fall, that ultimately will sever you from the vine, from God himself. The Bible is real clear that in our sin, we are owed that ultimate knife that will cut us off from God. Now, I, talking about sin, like in this culture and in this time and in this place, it's not like the most popular thing. Like I've never done just a talk on sin and then someone come up to me afterwards and be like, hey, can I, can I take you out to lunch? That was real encouraging to me. Like no one's done that yet. But I can't ignore it either because the Bible's the truth, not what I say. It's the Bible's the truth. And here's what I would say to those of you who maybe are struggling with hearing about our sinfulness. First of all, let me just acknowledge many of you were burned growing up by people like me who stood on stage 
just spewing fire and brimstone. They turn redder and redder and redder, and they start spitting more and more and more. And they even start sweating just to tell you how sinful and awful and wicked and evil you are. And I'm here to tell you, some of that burns you pretty good. But, I, but, but I'm also here to tell you that a lot of that was true. They just might not have finished the good news of it. But a lot of it is true if you look at the scriptures on it. And if you're struggling with that, let me just ask you to consider this. The alternative to saying there is no sin and we shouldn't be talking about sin is then we don't have a just God anymore. And I think we want a just God. A God of justice. Because after all, if we shouldn't talk about sin and no one's sinful and who, who am I to condemn any kind of sinful acts, then when we look at the evil in the world and you actually open up your eyes and you look around the world and you see all the evil that's being perpetrated, especially against those who, who are in the margins of society, especially against the weakest of the weak in our world, and you see all the evil that's being perpetrated against people, you have to say, who am I to say anything about that evil? After all, why should I judge anybody? You don't want that. You want a God of justice. We want a God who looks at evil and looks at darkness and says, I will do something about this. I will sever the evil away from me so that my justice remains. And the Bible is very clear. Every one of us in our sin were owed being severed. We did not have enough fruit coming out of our lives naturally. To deserve anything other than that ultimate knife coming to separate us. But the gospel doesn't stop at bad news, does it? The word gospel means good news. You know, the good news is in the gospel that yes, you are more wicked and sinful than you ever could possibly believe, but you're simultaneously more loved and accepted than you could ever dream. Do you know what that means? Here's what that means. You were owed the ultimate knife to be severed and separated from God. You know what Jesus did? He came and took on the ultimate knife for you. He allowed himself to ultimately be severed so that you could be grafted in to the, to the vine. You could be grafted in to the root of God himself. Jesus allowed himself to be severed so that this knife that comes down no longer has to separate you from God. It can turn from this hatchet job that's just cutting you off from the entire vine, and that knife can now turn into more of like a pruning knife. One that comes into your life and says, I'm no longer here to separate you from me. I'm here to help you grow more and more into me. This is beautiful good news. You know what that just said? You know what that means? What Jesus is saying is he took on the ultimate sin for you. He didn't deserve to go onto the cross. He had perfect fruit in his life. He, he, he did everything he was supposed to do. And yet he goes up onto the cross, takes on what you deserve for your sin, and that through faith in him, then you receive that as a gift so that God's ultimate, you know, slashing, severing knife doesn't have to fall on you all over again. In fact, if God was doing all the bad things happening in your life right now, simply to punish you and to separate you from him all over again, he would be punishing you twice for the same sin, which isn't just. No, God has already severed Jesus for you. And so because you have received that good news that you are saved by Jesus on the cross, yes, you are sinful, but he looks at you and says, yet I love you enough even in your sin to go up and be severed for you. Now you can look at your life and go, now all I have left is a loving father who's pruning my life so that I might grow more and more into him. 
This is what he's saying is if you abide in me, I'll abide in you and you will bear much fruit. And this is why throughout your life, God is bringing into your mind and into your soul through conviction of the spirit areas of your life that you've yet to give over to him. And yeah, he's taking a pruning knife and sometimes he's cutting that out of your life. But what do you know about pruning anything? I don't know much. I'm a city boy. I never had a vine in my life that I know of. Um, never was trying to grow grapes. But I did have a rose bush at one point. If you cut back a rose bush, you ever seen a rose bush just like really pruned back? I mean, by the time you prune back that rose bush, I mean, it just looks like sticks coming up into the air. In fact, the first time I did it, I watched a YouTube video. That's how good I am at pruning. And I did exactly what they said. And I cut this rose bush all the way down. It looked like sticks. And I just looked at the rose bush and I went, uh, that does not look right. And I mean, within weeks, though, what happened? is that thing just began to bloom everywhere. It's as if what I was cutting off were all these things that were preventing the rose bush from tapping deeper and deeper into its roots so that it could be healthier and healthier and healthier. This is what God is doing in your life through your community that you're running with, through you coming to something like this on Sunday morning and receiving God's word from you. He's, he's showing you that there are areas in your life that you can give over to him so that your heart is being transformed, and from the inside out, new fruit is being produced in your life. I'll close out by saying this. I've talked a lot about counseling in here and almost knocked it. I'm not a, I'm not, I don't knock counseling because I've seen this work. I've seen true, lasting change happen in people. I've seen the couples come in and, and talk to us where the husband is that deadbeat husband and he has cheated on her and he has just been a horrible, wicked man and, and, and face to face with his sin for the first time, he has turned to Jesus, has found true forgiveness, has learned deep in his root that the reason he was acting the way he was acting is he was chasing after maybe acceptance from a father that never would have accepted him and through sheer grace alone now he has the acceptance of the ultimate father and because of that he no longer needed his wife to be his functional savior and so because he no longer needs his wife to be his functional savior he actually doesn't have to belittle her he doesn't have to cheat on her when she's letting him down he's getting everything he needs through his true father it's out of an overflow that he has new fruit in his life where he begins to be faithful to his wife to love her to be patient with her and i've seen in her be able to truly forgive her husband because deep down inside she recognizes that even though he's behaving wrong deep down inside he's every bit as much a sinner as she is we both needed the gospel and because the 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 sword had fallen on jesus it doesn't have to fall on him all over again this sense of justice that I need, I can extend into him and give him forgiveness. And because of that, that, that true, deep, internal change happening in their heart, we've seen incredible growth in their lives where they haven't separated. They've learned to love each other. And we're not talking a couple of weeks and a couple of months. We're talking decades of, of a marriage beginning to grow deeper and deeper and deeper. I've seen the, the you know, some of you are like, I'm, I'm so deep in my substance abuse. I don't even want to tell you about it because it's embarrassing. Like, what is your substance of choice? Like, I've seen people literally come and come face to face with the fact that they're turning to something like, I don't know, let's take alcohol, and, and, and just trying to escape from their life because they're like, I just don't like the way I'm turning out right now. So I'm running to alcohol, and they've seen for the first time they have value and they have dignity in the gospel. Jesus would die for them. And so now for the first time, they actually like 
the person staring back to them in the mirror because their identity isn't based on their performance. It's based on Jesus' love for them. And as a result, they can begin to walk into life without having to escape into alcohol anymore. And so they've turned and they've repented from that. And in their life, they've walked in sobriety, not for a couple of days, not for a couple of months, for decades, growing more and more free in this. Do you want to change? Or are you the exception? Are you the lost cause? You're not. I'm just going to declare it over you. God is not done with you. Abide in him. Turn back to Jesus. Remain in him. Chase after him moment by moment by moment by moment, and he will chase after you. Transform your heart from the inside out, and your life will never be the same. Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful for these kinds of passages that we have in the scriptures where they go so much deeper than I'm capable of talking about from the stage on a Sunday. And so, Lord, over the room, I just ask that your spirit would move to open up our eyes to see your glory in Jesus. And so, Lord, in the room right now, there's some people that just need to do business with the fact that for so long they have felt like they are the lost cause. They, there's no hope for them. And so I pray over them today that you would speak to them clearly. God, have mercy on me by closing off their ears to anything I've said to muddy the water and let them hear from you today. Yeah, move over their hearts in powerful ways, God, that they might turn to you they might abide in you and remain in you and that they might see their hearts being transformed from the inside out. God, as a people, we want to be known not even for our transformation. What we pray, God, is that the fruit in our lives would do exactly what this passage says. It would bring you glory. Because after all, God, if you're the one that has done all the change in us, if you're the one that was severed, separated for us, if you're the one that has come in and has begun to transform our hearts and breathe new life into us from the inside out. It has nothing to do with us, so we just pray, God, that you would transform us not for our own good alone, but for your glory. So over the room right now, Lord, we just pray that you would move in power and convince our souls that you aren't done with us yet. I pray this to you, Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So to close out, what's left in the room is just to celebrate him and to celebrate the good news that you are in this moment face-to-face with a father who loves you and has offered you life through Jesus. So we're going to celebrate that by taking communion together at the top of your cup. It looks like this. There's a piece of bread. And remember today that that bread represents the body of Jesus on the cross for you. And remember what we said about this. That on the cross, what Jesus allowed to happen to him is he allowed himself to be severed from the Father so that you don't have to be anymore. Look at your own life and go, have you sinned so much that you feel separated from the Father? Turn back to Jesus. Put your faith in him right now in this moment. Look at his body on the cross for you and know that because of that, all of your sins and fruitlessness have already been paid for and that knife doesn't have to drop on you anymore. If you can do that, take the bread with us today. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread, he passed it around to his disciples, and he said, take this, all of you, and eat it. This is the bread of my body that will be broken for you so that your sins may be forgiven. Do this in remembrance of me.
if you open up that cup, in the bottom of the cup, there's some grape juice that represents the new covenant that God has made with us through Jesus' blood that was shed for us on the cross. That new covenant means that God wants to be with you. Jesus didn't just die so that you don't have to be severed from the Father. Literally, Jesus died that you might be grafted into the vine, into the root. If you feel like you're running by yourself, if you feel like you're utterly alone, you're not. Like the good news of the gospel is that you're already tapped into the root. Remain in him. Chase after him day by day. If you believe that you have that kind of relationship with God, where he is coming for your whole life, and that's good news because he wants your heart, not just your robotic with some external code of conduct. If you believe that's the kind of father that wants to engage with you every day, I think it's good news, and I hope that you'll join us in taking the cup today in faith. But later that night when Jesus was with his disciples, he passed a cup full of wine and said, drink this, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant, my blood, that will be spilled for you. So do this in remembrance of me. So would you stand with me as we close out just worshiping God? Lord, as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the name of Jesus until he comes. And so, God, we ask that you would just receive the worship from us out of an overflow of hearts that are being transformed as we abide in you. We praise you and we pray this in Jesus' name.